Welcome back. Let's consider the Word of God. And as I mentioned a little bit early, earlier, Satan, his preoccupation and practice now is imitating God. He's inserting tears in the field, unbelievers in the church, influencing. And we go on from that and consider one that's close on his heels. He instigates devilish doctrines. He instigates devilish doctrines. Listen to what First Timothy chapter 4 verses 1 to 3 tell us. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly. He's pointed, this is pointed to you, pointed to us. That in the latter times, we're there now. Some, many, let's not change the word, shall depart from the faith giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. When I hear in churches of people rolling down the aisles, barking like dogs, speaking in gibberish that is not a language at all, it's not an angelic language, it's just plain nonsense. When I hear of that, I hear... These verses ring in my ears. Seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Speaking lies in hypocrisy. Having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Forbidding to marry. That sounds like another organisation too, doesn't it? What's the problem we've got in our society today? Because priests are forbidden to marry. And commanding to abstain from meats. Same church which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. Hey, when you know the truth, you're at liberty to eat quite a lot of things. Some things I just wouldn't because I know where they come from. I know how they live and eat and wallow in things. And you just wouldn't eat them. Snails. Anyway, we'll let the French eat them. You might, I won't. Um, <clears throat> what else will they eat? Only in desperation would one go to things. But here, forbidding to eat of things. In The devil instigates devilish doctrines. I had a, a person quite a few years ago now, a, a, a couple. They came to the church. They were interviewed by the leadership of the church, the deacons and pastor. We'd given them a constitution of our doctrines. They read through it and they said, yes, it's okay. We, we, yep, we're in, we're in with you. We're on side with you. We, we understand. After, after a few years, it wasn't very long, maybe two. They caused strife. They were introducing things that were wrong. And we had to talk to them. They left. And upon their leaving, the man said this. He said, I'm amazed that you let us become members he knew that he didn't believe what we believed when we had them come in. But he covered it up. And he went out from us. And he admitted then that he wasn't of us. And the, the doctrines that he was introducing were not of the Bible. And so the false doctrine was instigated. And he had been, as it were, inserted into the believers. And he wasn't one of us. And he went out from us. And so the devil gets up to this trick. And not only does he instigate devilish doctrines and brings them to in, come within the church. And you hear of it. 
over and over again all around our country and world of where he is doing that, just that. Hey, listen, he'll even get you talking about himself. He'll even get you to concentrate on himself. As long as you're not concentrating on the Lord Jesus and growing in him and you're talking about the devil, you say, oh, that's what you're doing in the service in the evenings. No, I'm warning you against him. And so, <clears throat> he, as long as he's doing that, he, he, he's, he's rubbing his hands and he's got a smile on his face, a smirk on his face. Another thing that he does, he impairs the word of God. If he can give it a twist, if he can change the meaning. He, and and to, to impair means to weaken or to damage. In Matthew 4 verse 6, And saith unto him, If, this is the devil talking to the Lord Jesus, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give thee charge concerning thee, and in thy hands he sh they shall bear thee up. <clears throat> Lest at any time they shall dash thy foot against a stone. Look, you don't do stupid things to say, oh, the Lord will protect me. You don't drive at 150 down the highway and say, well, the Lord will protect me. Yeah, there's laws that we are to obey. And you're going outside of those laws. You're out of the, under the protection of the law, the Lord and his ministry. And so a young person was, uh, when I was young, they were young, same age. They had a green Tirana. An LJ to runner. I had an LJ to runner too. But they would zoom down the highway. You couldn't miss the thing. It was green. <laughs> and they went down the highway and someone said to them, you know, your guardian angel wouldn't be able to keep up with you. <laughs> and uh, warning her of the speed at which she was going. And we need to be careful not to go outside of the parameters. Of we, we stay under the protection of the Lord. But Satan wants to twist the word of God. He wants to us to give it that twist. You know, We can go and do whatever we want and the Lord will protect. No, he will not give the charge over thee if you do that which is contrary to nature and the truth of the word. Another time in Genesis chapter 3, we know it well, the fall. Satan impaired the word of God by just giving it a little twist, just a little twist. And eventually a little twist becomes a big twist, resting the scriptures. I remember in our science class, it was in chemistry actually, and it, I can remember those things where he, he was teach, the teacher was teaching us that, you know, if you, what is in infinity? And how, how, how long, he didn't say eternity, infinity, he used the word. And he's he talking about light. He said if you project a, a beam of light, like a laser that we know of now, and it wasn't that much known in those days, but if you project a beam of light and then you just go a tiny fraction, of course, with another beam of light, out into infinity, those, those beams of light will be billions of light, uh, miles apart. Billions of miles apart. And you only have to get off beam a little bit. You only have to impair it a little bit. Oh, a little bit won't matter. Just take a bite of the, the forbidden fruit. It won't hurt. Ah, yes. Look at the havoc that it has wrought down 6,000 years later. Look how the beams apart. Look at the beams of light. That if, we, if we as humans had stayed on the truth and the track, this place, this planet would be so different. But look how far it's sunk.
And it's getting to the point in the very near future there would no flesh be left on earth because of humanity's sin and the effects of it on the world. It's gone a long way from what it was originally. Look at the deserts all around the world. They weren't, and it's known, it's even in Australia, that there's, there's animals and skeletons that have been found out in the desert in caves and things that are gigantic wombats and kangaroos, a lot bigger than what they were. They were out there living one day. It's all been in because God's word was impaired. God's word was just tweaked a little bit. We have to be careful that we're not the ones tweaking the word of God to fit us or our friends or our family's needs. I've known families that had convictions on the word of God and they said, this is what the word says, we're not. Then one of their family members, one of their children or grandchildren, went astray a little, got out of sorts with the Lord. And so to accommodate them, the grandparents or the parents have tweaked their understanding of God's word just a little bit. It won't hurt. And it will. It will hurt. If, if time goes on and the Lord tarries, it will have a great effect on the generations to come if you change it a bit. I've seen it in the generations that I've known in our family. Those that have said just a little bit of sin won't hurt. List a little bit of leaven won't hurt. But it only takes a little leaven to leaven the whole lump. Tweak the word. And so taking it out of its context twisting and resting the scriptures causing it to be he causes the word of god to be misinterpreted interpreted impairing the word of god misinterpreted there is a multitude a multitude and a host of internet preachers you can get your phone out and you can listen to a preacher you can put it on whatever bluetooth and and you can listen to it in your car and you need to be careful are they preaching the word of God? Know the word. <clears throat> because they could tweak the word of God. They could change it just a little bit. Causing it to be misinterpreted. Charlatans. Making merchandise of you as we read even in the scriptures this morning. How much anguish and frustration and confusion has the devil wrought? Simply by causing Christians and non-Christians alike to misinterpret God's word. We can and he causes us to impair the word of God by overemphasizing or underemphasizing or understressing certain aspects of God's word. <clears throat> and a classic example of this in our day, and it's rampant, it's running wild, would be the doctrine of predestination <clears throat> and free will, Calvinism and Arminianism. The overemphasis of either will cause trouble and untold numbers of believers and including preachers have gone off the deep end by overstressing one side of the two-sided coin predestination is god sovereign yep he's sovereign he knows everything that's happened will happen and about everybody and every thought and every hair of our head he knows all that According to the, he's, we've been elected according to the foreknowledge of God. He saw one day that would hear the gospel and in our free will we would choose to follow the Lord Jesus and accept him as our saviour. And on that basis we could be chosen, elected, 
predestinated. And predestination has to do with believers. In the context you look at it through the Bible, through the New Testament, you'll find it we're predestinated unto good works. You look them all up and follow them through and read them in their context. But we can overstress one and you get the extreme Calvinist. I remember when I was about 14 years old being in a room with all these men and then there was, a, there was a debate ensued and one was a Calvinist, a hyper-Calvinist. And the others, including a pastor, was a no. And I heard the arguments going back and forward. Uh, I, I was introduced to that very young and uh, <coughs> decided, yep, in the, in the middle there. <laughs> we believe in free will. We, we have a choice and we are responsible. God cannot hold us responsible for something we didn't choose to do. That is, reject or believe the Lord Jesus. He will hold us responsible because we do have a choice in the matter. Um, <clears throat> what about the grace and truth? There was a great emphasis a few years ago upon the grace of God. No, praise God for the grace of God, you know. The, the the song amazing grace and it's a it's in the world and people know it unsaved people know about it but i'm not saying de-emphasize that amazing grace that god would give us his riches at christ's expense g-r-a god's riches at christ's expense grace that comes freely flowing to us. But grace does not give us a license to sin and live as we please. Oh, grace will cover this. Let's just go and do what we want. There was a, there was a book put out, Grace Awakening. And it was emphasizing grace. But remember the truth that's given in John's Gospel, chapter 1 and verse 17, that says grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Put the two together. Don't emphasize one above the other, but put them together. Get a balance in this. Grace and truth. If I go and do certain things, is it right to do? Am I presuming upon the grace of God? Listen to what Paul said. God forbid. Look that up in the book of Romans. God forbid that I should go and do things that I know in my conscience is wrong and take advantage of God's grace toward me and say, well, he'll forgive me if I do it wrong and I'll just go and do it anyway. Grace and truth. Think of the overbalance, the overstressing. And Satan wants us to impair the word of God like this, of love and judgment. Love. This is a big one today, probably bigger than the grace and truth. The, just love them. And the idea of love is don't talk about sin. Don't tell them they've done wrong. Don't emphasize that this is not right in according to God. But God is judge as well. He loves and he hates. He loves people. He hates their sin. You've got to have the balance. Otherwise you get it wrong. And you'll emphasize wrong things. You know, free love. Do what we want. God's love will cover it all and just emphasizes the emphasis of love is unbalanced. There's judgment, there's righteousness, there's truth that go with this. Mercy and judgment, the, they have to go together. 
peace and suffering. You see, God has promised us peace with the Lord Jesus Christ, but it doesn't mean we won't have the suffering. If we say that when you become a Christian, it's all plain sailing to heaven. We're wrong because that's not what the Bible says. As we preached a few months ago about Paul and all the sufferings that he went through. I think four, on four occasions he gives testimony about this many verses that uh, <clears throat> talk about all the suffering he went through. And he died a martyr and so did all the other apostles. Suffering. Suffering makes us more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, there is peace in our hearts to knowing that if we die in the suffering, we're going to go to heaven. And we have the peace of God that passes all understanding, knowing he is in control, even though the circumstances are not nice. Uh, <clears throat> prosperity and being deprived. We have the prosperity gospel, the overemphasis. The Lord will provide and give, you, give all things. Philippians talks about that. My God shall, shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. You see, I can have a jet and I can have a Mercedes or a drag or whatever. That, yeah, God will, no. Are they needs or are they, are they lusts? Are they, is that covetousness? We need to get the balance right. We need to be deprived of things. If things are given to us, our heart can be easily drawn away with them. And the devil wants to impair the word of God in these areas to, to tweak it, to make it wrong. Prosperity gospel is preached in many places now. If you do this, you'll get that. And the reason you do it is to get that, not to be pleasing God. And that's a wrong motive. Sight and faith. Balanced doctrine. You know, we, unless I see it, I won't believe it. Thomas, doubting Thomas. <laughs> but God said, blessed are they that haven't seen yet believe. And he rebuked Thomas when he did see. You know, come and have a look at my hands, have a look at my side, have a look at my feet. And uh, Thomas bowed before the Lord that day. Faith and works. The social gospel. What is the social gospel? We do good works to get saved we feed the poor now it's not wrong to do these things but we do them for our salvation and this has overtaken the church churches and denominations everywhere they emphasize the book of james in opposition to the book of romans faith we have a faith that works show me thy faith by thy works and uh, I'll go out there and do the things that I ought to do as a Christian, but not to be saved is because I have faith first. So faith and works. Some emphasize faith and they sit in their pews and they sit in, sit and listen to the, the doctrine all the time and good to have sound doctrine, not knocking that, and to have faith, but they overemphasize. They impair the word of God and its effect in our lives and the devil delights to do that because it makes us, all these areas ineffective and off beam. And remember the beams of light? If this was to continue for generations, where would it end? Well, it would end with souls in hell. You know, people saying, well, <clears throat> yep, I know it's wrong that I <clears throat> cooperate and work with those that don't believe the truth. But 
It's got a good end. I'm being pragmatic in my approach to ministry. It works, so therefore I'll do it. No. (laughs) Is it Bible? So that's the faith part. But we do need to have the works. Let's not sit and do nothing. Let's also have attached to faith the works. Um, A faith that works. Read the book of James. Read, Read the book of Romans. They're not contradictory. They're complementary toward one another. Understressing certain doctrines, overstressing other doctrines. Perhaps one of the biggest things that's downplayed today is the local church as opposed to big organisations. The church is an organism, not an organisation. When men take over in high places with power, they train the people as go, that go out into the ministry in their way of thinking, and it's usually humanistic. But if a local church trains the people, they're trained for practical ministry, doing the job, like an apprenticeship, where as they learn, they're doing the job, not stuck away in a theological college, away from everything and, and the, the things of life, cloistered. And they, they, they are influenced, but understressing or the certain doctrines. And the local church is a doctrine that's been understressed greatly. If local churches, all these, now the church is the people, but we, we look at buildings and say this is a church, the Church of England, the Church of Christ, this is the Baptist churches. If these had control of their finances, controlled of who preaches in their church, of what's spent, how it's spent, of people that come in as members and not. If the local church took control of that, then there would be a whole lot of different things happening, right things happening, where they'd be sticking to the truth of God's word. You say it would be all fragmented all over the place and we wouldn't be one. You know what happens when we, we become one? We have to give up, give up give up the doctrines and the word of God and we can't emphasize it because we're under the pressure from up higher somewhere in some human chain of authority that's pushing us not to teach on that, not to talk about that, you're not to emphasize this. These are the Bible verses you have to read about. These, this is the subject for today. Ah, no. Emphasize the church. Put the emphasis where the Bible does. I've got a little exercise here. I have to unstick my Bible. But here... You can see those divisions there in the Bible. Let's emphasize what the Bible does. In the first section here, that's the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, the law, the law. And then you have the historical books. They in between them, and that's the historical books, the first and second Kings and first and second Samuel, first and second Chronicles. Let's emphasize where the emphasis is. And you can see the emphasis of God in the scripture there. Then you have the poetical books and the wisdom books, the book of Job and Psalms and Ecclesiastic, the Song of Solomon. You have them given in the middle. And, and, and this is the way our Bible has been arranged. This isn't, this isn't in historical order. This is not chronological. It's arranged by subject. That's the way the canon of scripture has been put together by wise people in the past. If you get a Bible that's put together in a timeline, you'd be you have to relearn of where the books of the Bible would be. And then you have the prophetical books. The emphasis, the prophetical books just there. 
I think you can see that. <laughs> the prophetical books. You know you've got Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jeremiah, and those other minor prophets. You've got all of them, and there's a lot of stuff that hasn't happened that's going to happen from the prophetical books. Let's emphasise this. The devil wants to get us off, off track. Then you've got the Gospels. They're really Old Testament, but because they were written way into the New Testament, well, decades into the New Testament, the part of the New Testament gives the changeover from old to new. It gives where Jesus came to his people and they rejected him. Then you have the epistles, the epistles. And this is the doctrine for the church. Let's emphasize that. Then you have the revelation, the revelation and uh, other prophecies that are given there. Let's put the emphasis where the emphasis is. I was reading a book and I'm going through it a second time because I, I, I was given the book on loan and I thought this is a good book. I bought it so now I'm marking it all up. Going through it a second time and this is on page 352 and it says <clears throat> David Jeremiah writing about prophetical truths. He said this, Although Christians are most familiar with the first coming of Christ, it is the second coming that gets most ink in the Bible. I've never heard it put that way, but <laughs> the second coming of Christ gets most ink in the Bible. References to the second coming outnumber the references to the first coming by a factor of eight to one. The first coming of Christ is a babe at Bethlehem. The prophecies concerning that are outnumbered eight to one by the references to the day of the Lord, the second coming. Scholars counted 1,845 biblical references to the second coming, including 318 in the New Testament. Christ's return is emphasised in no less than 17 Old Testament books and seven out of every ten chapters. Let's put the emphasis where God does in his word. Seven out of ten chapters it is mentioned in. People accuse me, I know, they mightn't say to my face, of preaching on the second coming. I had a Bible college principal accuse me of that 35 years ago. And I said, well, who's been talking to him? He's not here, never here. Somebody had been talking to him, but I've got an idea who it was. They're not with us anymore. I mean, they're not, they're, they're gone to heaven. But... If I just preach the Bible, and I keep telling people this, if I just preach the Bible, seven out of ten chapters will bring it up. How can I miss it? Am I supposed to just go around it and skirt and not talk about it because people get offended with it? No. And that's in the New Testament. The Lord himself referred to his return 21 times. The second coming is second only to faith as most the most dominant subject in the New Testament. Listen to what it says in 2 Timothy 4.8. A crown of righteousness is given to all those who love his appearing. Let's not impair the word of God. Let's not make it non-effective and weaken and damage it by not emphasizing what God does in his word. And there, love his appearing. <laughs> Titus 2.13, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of a great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 3.13, look for a new heaven and a new earth. Huh? Hey, is the Lord making you sick of this world and the restrictions and the clamping down and the, 
Well, I think if you're not sick of some things that's going on, you soon will be, because it seems like it's not going to lighten any time soon. But we look for a new heaven and a new earth, and with which dwelleth righteousness, no more diseases either. <laughs> no more coronavirus. Colossians 3.20 From which, that is heaven, we look for the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, looking. Is he coming yet? Yeah. Is he coming soon? So if you're out to get on top of the preacher for preaching what the Bible emphasises most, you've got a problem, not me. And I think the preachers have got a problem who skirt around the issues of the day. They're not being true to the word. Look at that. You go through your Bible and mark out the majority, the major areas of it and, and consider for yourself the sections of Scripture. <clears throat> People today are de-emphasizing, as I was emphasizing a little earlier, the local church. And it impairs the word of God going out. They say the church is dead. A meeting like that is, is done with. And now let's have home churches. Have you heard that? And it's usually because the father of the house is not a pastor but wants to be. And they emphasize that. The home church. The church started in homes. You know what? In them homes... Preacher or pastor run it, it, and it probably wasn't the owner of the home. It wasn't the father. Uh, the father has authority, but not over the church. And a church begins not by me deciding to start a church here or there, by a local church like Antioch sending a missionary out to plant churches, or church planting evangelists like the Apostle Paul and Barnabas and Silas and others that went out with him and started churches and then they came back through and ordained leaders in these churches. A church does not start by someone having a, a light come on, oh, I'm going to start a church. No, no. A church is started by a local, another local church and, and so it propagates that way. But the emphasis is on, you know, the church no more. It's done with. It's, it's apostatized. <clears throat> Let's dig a hole and bury it. Let's write an epitaph on it. Bury it and say it's dead. Christianity then, they say, could proceed to new glories where groups would replace <clears throat> Sunday night services and sermons. These would be set aside for buzz groups. Buzzard groups, more like it. Discussion groups where human thought is replaced and reasonings are replaced for the scripture. Let's discuss the matter when it says in black and white, no or yes in the scriptures. And what you get is a humanistic approach to the scriptures. Where the word is discussed and not preached by the foolishness of preaching. You read what Paul said. By the foolishness of preaching, he saves them that believe. And the world thinks this is stupid. And so let's introduce into the church the worldly ways of discussing the word of God. I remember one church and one... one I went through Bible college with them. And they, they said, well, let's discuss. Let's have a meeting and discuss about it's okay to drink. Grog, I mean. 
let's discuss it. I thought, no, that's the end of that church. And you know what? It was only a few years later that that church, the whole building, I mean, you know, the church is the people, but the church fell apart. There was only 10 people left. A great big church, building-wise. It sold. They started discussing. Instead of preaching, I heard someone the other day saying, well, I don't like listening to preachers, you know, up there ranting and raving. If they're preaching the word of God, you need to listen. You need to listen to the word of God, not discuss it. <clears throat> he, he, Satan wants to impair the word of God. Put the emphasis where God does. Well, our time's fast slipping away. Let's consider another area. He imitates God. He inserts tears. He instigates false doctrine. He impairs the word of God, makes us tweak it a little bit, and way off it goes. And he impedes the work of God's servants. 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 18 reads, Wherefore we would, come, would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once again, but Satan, Satan hindered us, Paul said. Satan hindered the apostle? Yep, he did. He cannot do this, impede God's servants, unless he has permission from God, as we just read Job earlier. And uh, <clears throat> without God's permission. Listen to Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. And he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand, to resist him. And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan, even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is it not is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? That is Joshua the priest. Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel, and he answered and spoke unto those that stood by before him, saying, <coughs> Take away the filthy garments from him, and unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with a change of raiment. Praise the Lord for the change of raiment he's given to each believer. But Satan was there to resist, to resist the ministry of the word, to resist the minister of God, to impede the work of God. Satan hindered us, as Paul said. He would have come, but Satan stopped him. We would have tried again and Satan stopped him. You know, some people say, go on the circumstance things to find the will of God. You might be doing the will of God and there, and there's, there's, there's roadblocks, as it were, to stop you. But it may be Satan impeding you, not God stopping you. It's the God of this world, evil Satan, trying to stop you. Keep pushing at the door. It might open. And God will, God just allowing you, testing to see if you're, got faith in believing what you've committed yourself to do another scripture is given in Luke twenty-two, thirty-one, and the Lord said unto Simon 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 behold Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat remember that Peter Simon Peter had just done a one said a wonderful thing and and now <clears throat> the Lord's saying Satan's going to get you and sift you and you know the old sieve, you know, mum doing the flour and, and putting it through the sieve to get all the lumps out of it or, or, or to get the weevils out of it. Well, 
Satan wants to sift those that believe. So he impedes the work of God's servants. And how many times have we been resisted from doing what's right? How many times have people tried to discourage us from doing what's right? Oh, pastor, if you do that, this and this will happen. Oh, pastor, if you, you put that out, you'll be in a big trouble with the community. <coughs> hey, Satan is trying to stop us. Don't be stopped. You know what God's word says. Have faith. Keep doing the will and the word of God. And I'll go one more and then we'll stop. He interferes in the prayers of God's servants. So no, how could he? Well, listen to what the Bible says in Daniel ten twelve. Then said he to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou hast set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before God, thy words were heard. He was praying to the Lord. And I am come, said Michael here, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. Three weeks was Daniel's prayer hindered from the angel coming to answer the prayer because Satan stopped him. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me and I remained there with the kings of Persia. (coughs) And so (coughs) it needs to be pointed out that Satan cannot do this without God's approval. God's teaching us something, but he's going to answer the prayer. Sometimes our prayer life is made difficult, not because of personal sin in our lives or unwillingness on God's part, but due solely to satanic influence. But keep praying. Don't give up. God is at work. And God will test us to see whether we believe really by faith as Satan tries to stop us doing the work of the Lord. How many, how many times have you found that? Trying to do the work of the Lord. Praying about the issue. You know, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Should we stop praying for our unsaved friends and relatives because... They're not getting saved? No. Keep praying. God doesn't want them to get lost or to go to hell. You don't want them to go to hell? Keep praying. It may be after we've gone from this planet in death or rapture that that prayer will be answered. Keep praying for those loved ones. Don't give up. God is able to bring circumstances to bear without you interfering to bring them to the Lord. So we have an enemy. And what does Ephesians tell us to do? It tells us in Ephesians chapter 6 to put on what? The whole armour of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Put on the whole armour of God that ye may... Yes, Ephesians 6, 11. So, Christian, don't give up. Don't quit. Stay in the fight. Fight against the devil. Timothy talks about it as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Keep fighting forward, onward till the Lord comes. And that not, might not be long at all. But be found faithful. Shall he find you in the faith when he comes? Don't be ashamed before he met his coming. And fighting the battle. Yeah, you see, when you become a Christian, you're in the battle whether you want to or not. You're a soldier. Contrary to what the Uniting Church might teach, no soldiers in the... <laughs> it's in the scripture. You're a soldier, do it. Do what's pleasing. Let's pray to the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the blessing of it. Thank you for the warnings from it. O Lord, 
Let us take the word of God and give, give good heed to it. Let's not tweak or twist or change it for our friends or our family. Let's just be true to you. Graciously and lovingly be true to you. Let's not overemphasize some things above other things. Let's emphasize the truth as it is written in your word. And as we preach through books of the Bible, we come upon the truths over and over again. And we emphasize them. Bless the word as it goes out. Let it not return to you void. May you receive glory from it going forth this day in the lives of your people. Keep us safe until we meet again in Jesus' name. Amen.